Blog Talk Radio. I figured since I showed up about a minute late, we would cut the two-minute intro. How are, what are you guys doing? How about you? How the hell are you? It's Race Chat Live, race fans. We ain't never had an introduction like that before, and we'll probably never have another introduction like that again. But boy, oh boy, we got a lot to tend to. And and I got here late, and my two uh, co-partners are uh, already in the studio, and I just did not see the point in making them sit there another two minutes while we went through some long-ass intro. So, uh, how the hell are y'all, friends? I'm hanging in there. Same here. (laughs) All right, all right, all right. Good to have y'all a part of the show. Glad to have you guys listening, whether it be on record, through the podcast or live through Blog Talk Radio, regardless, we are glad that y'all chose to listen to our famous little show here this evening. We hope that we keep you plenty entertained. Um, you know, why didn't Richard Childress take off his Rolex? <laughs> Let's start off with that. Huh? You ain't going to wreck my boy. I'll put a fire suit on. <laughs> y'all remember old Bob Keselowski? <laughs> Ooh, and I said we're going to dive right in and son, we're going to get right off to the nasty <laughs> why didn't Richard Childress want to take off his Rolex at the end of the race why wasn't he trying to whoop up on uh, on old Austin and when I say Austin I mean uh, the real Austin may the real Austin please stand up Austin Sindrick because I'll be honest with you I don't think either one of these guys have a career uh, I think uh, but we'll get into that here in just a little bit <clears throat> All right, come on. Why didn't children take his watch off? Why didn't he go fight his grandbaby's fight? Probably because Mr. Rhinestone Cowboy thought he could, you know, swing the ropes himself. And uh, RC probably told him, listen, you're in the wrong here, buddo. Put those ropes down. You ain't going to get any any bowls anyway. Uh, Ms. Lee. Let's get your comment real quick, and I'm going to tell you. I'm, I'm just going to see if either one of y'all get it. Come on, Ms. Lee. Why, why, didn't, why didn't Mr. R.C. take off his Rolex watch and go handle that? No clue. Because he was too busy celebrating in victory lane. Because now he's got a freaking winner for his race team. And we just see, you know, this is, this is what we feared would happen to Austin Dillon. And that might have been the first sign of true frustration. Um, when you realize that you aren't as good as somebody else. And look, Austin, I give him 100% for thinking outside the box saying, hey, how am I going to better this organization? Because honestly, Austin's probably the future of the organization, one way or the other. He's going to be signing somebody's check one day if RCR survives generational right so now now it's this now it's starting to you know starting to show like we're sitting here midway through the season may i add Kyle bush has got three wins 
on the season. Just between him and Tyler Reddick, they have more wins combined in the last two years than Austin Dillon has had in his career. Did right. you say four or five? five? Yeah. I think Reddick won twice last year. That was three wins, wasn't it? It was three, right? Twice. I thought Reddick had two last maybe year. Maybe twice and maybe in close to a third one. So, anyway, either way – no, these two guys have been able to accumulate and win what Austin's had in his entire career. So, obviously, there's a talent to gap between the two. Yeah, I got a new one for you. Ready? <laughs> like a rhyme loser. <laughs> Dum-dum. <laughs> I guess just the dum-dum. <laughs> 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 Well, I mean, you know, when you go back and you look at the telemetry and you look at what really happened, and yeah, maybe Austin Cindric did uh, show a little aggression there. Maybe he did catch his right rear and uh, punted him. Uh, there was some contact about six laps before uh, between those two drivers, and uh, Austin may have just felt, Austin Cindric may have just felt at the time uh, that that's what needed to be done. Um as I just said, Austin Dillon is finding out that he's in over his head as a race car driver. We'll see how he's able to accept that, and I think that was always the big question of whether whether or not Austin is smart enough to go pet pop. I'm so glad that we have a driver here that's going to keep us in a winning organization for a very long time. Or are we going to hear pop pop? Why can't I have a car just as fast as Kyle Busch? Because we both know to give Austin Dillon a fast car, he would have gave him a fast car. It's not the fast car that's the problem. Really, what you're looking at is a generational driver, one of the best, one that should probably be on the Mount Rushmore of all drivers. Like, honestly, this guy's got 230 wins, okay? He's probably the greatest of all time. And he's driving for an organization that, for the last 10 years, let's be honest, sucked. And it had bits and parts where they sucked. <coughs> the <coughs> Sorry. Uh, I had a little cough. Sorry. Oh, it's okay. It's okay. Miss Lee. I don't, you, you like know what? You, no, you, you, you make sense. Maybe it's time for, for, uh, Austin Dillon to start looking towards his future and start looking more at the at, at an office job rather than uh, a driving job. He should invest I more in his iRacing team. Oh, I'm sorry, Taz. I'm very sorry. Uh, let me hold my thoughts. Go ahead, sir. He should invest more into his iRacing team than his driving career. But, I mean, look, guys, he's he, he, not much of an investment for him, right? He was born into it. But similar to Ben Kennedy, Ben Kennedy was born at the racetrack as well, and he tried the truck racing, and he was, you know, I don't know. I guess he could have probably stuck around. There's a lot of guys that probably have less talent than Ben Kennedy. Obviously, Ben Kennedy had plenty of money. If he wanted to stick around and suck for 20 years, he could have. Um, But you know what? He understood it at a young age and decided, hey, you know, I want to be a leader in this business. I want to move NASCAR into the – direction of popularity as I once grew up and as it was and and so I feel like I'm better fit 
uh, in the, like you said, a management office than I am as a race car driver. He, this, this is Austin Dillon's opportunity. Enjoy the last couple of years of your driving career, Austin Dillon. And when, the, when it's time and you can land a big-name guy to carry on, because, of course, Kyle Busch is not going to be around probably 10 years from now. So if you can get that generational talent, the next generational talent, and convince them to come drive the three car, then you, you, you as a person, knowing that you're going to eventually take the fold of this company, you know, I, I just see it as a no-brainer. Honestly, it has to hurt, right? It has to hurt Austin Dillon that this organization in two years, the numbers prove the point, right? There's no denying it. Tyler Reddick is a hell of a race car driver. Kyle Busch is a hell of a race car driver. Austin Dillon, he's a so-so race car driver. That doesn't make Austin Dillon a bad person. Save me here, Taz Taylor. What are your thoughts? I just see it as I feel like he's kind of riding the silver spoon. He's okay as a driver, but I mean, not one that you could easily, I'd say from 10, I would say 10 years from now, the only thing that Austin Hill could honestly be easily remembered for is Daytona 500 win 20 years after Dale Earnhardt won the Daytona 500. Other than that, Austin Dillon don't really have much history at all. Yeah, he brought the three car back. Um, he won the Daytona 500 on the 20th anniversary. I mean, that's that's a legacy, right? I mean, that's 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 a career. It's a lot better than his father's career. I mean, does anybody remember Mike Dillon? I mean, do y'all remember him? He 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 was a fill-in driver. I mean, he wasn't ever very good. Um. You know, uh, Austin probably uh, has accomplished more than uh, uh, than his grandfather did as a race car driver, right? His grandfather didn't win a Daytona 500. In fact, his grandfather was such a shitty driver, he, he had to let somebody else drive his car. And that's exactly the brains, that's exactly the brains that Austin Dillon needs to have. He needs to follow his grandfather's footsteps. The price of charters has been exposed to be up near, it could be, $30 million for a charter. Now, that's probably far-fetched, okay? For probably probably half of that, maybe a 10% increase, maybe $22 million, I feel like would probably be the going rate for a charter at this point in time. So that's $22 million. You need at the table to bring in a third car. Why spend that $22 million when all you have to do is vacate a seat and bring in and spend $22 million on your next driver? And or a talent that may be the next big thing. Because we all know Chase Elliott was primed to be who he is, right? Who who would want to see right now, and I can't wait to hear what you feel about this, a coming home of such for none other than Kevin Harvick? How about let's, re, let's do the rerun. Let's do the throwback. Let's give Keelan a contract at 15 years old, similar to the same contract that Chase Elliott has. 
Now, I'm not saying for the next 10 years you're not going to struggle to find that perfect driver to fit in that car that will be okay with running to the number two, you know, running number two to Kyle Busch. But by the time Kyle Busch's career is probably over with, I don't know if Kyle Busch has got 10 years left in him. He's probably more or less got five years left in him, considering the amount of money and Braxton being on the way. There's another name, man, y'all. I swear to God, no show prep, and my mind is just clicking, y'all. Come on, come on. Who thinks that that's a good idea? You got you got Keelan, you got Braxton. Let's put them both in the organization. Let's spend that twenty-two million dollars you were going to get a third charter for. Let's make sure we invest that money into the future talent of RCR. That's the frame of mind Austin Dillon needs to have moving forward. I would like your thoughts. Well, th- uh, let's start with you. That's all fine and dandy, but as an organization, in the meantime, you still, you know, yes, you need to stay one step ahead, and looking that far ahead isn't necessarily such a bad idea. But in the meantime, your your company still needs to make some money. So you've you've got to also you've also got to be present focused. Well, that's that's kind of what I'm saying. Austin Dillon can ride in that seat as long as he wants to, but let's spend the $22 million that it takes to get a third charter. Let's spend that on the future talent of the organization because you have Kyle freaking Bush. You have the man of your organization. You'd only need a Mike Skinner now. And, and, and basically, shit, I would say Austin Dillon is the Mike Skinner, and he doesn't cost you a dime for the next 10 years. And in that same instance, he's moving forward uh, on the – operational side, learning how to eventually take the throne of his grandfather. This is a very interesting subject. I swear, you know, I, there was no there was no intent to really start it this way. But when you start looking at the complete story of Richard Childress Racing, one of the original and left-standing franchises of NASCAR, right? When we say franchise, we mean something, right? Even though NASCAR doesn't have franchise. This was the home stable of Dale Earnhardt Sr. There's a lot of rich history through Richard Childress. And I know a lot of people that were Dale Earnhardt fans, and I'm not going to lie. All I hear is, I can't believe this Kyle Busch thing. I cannot believe it. Like, I'm so fired up for Richard Childress. Like, that's what we are putting a fire ember back up underneath an organization that literally almost evaporated before our eyes. But in order to be around in 30 more years, you have to be smart about how where you go from here. Honestly, a year ago, I don't think any of us would have thought for a million years Kyle Busch would go to Richard Childress Race, and we would have been like, yeah, Tyler Reddick may have just got a win, but, you know, I'm just not really so sure that that would be, you know, a, a good safe landing spot for Kyle Busch. And now, of course, one year later, three wins in the book. We have a completely different story. Obviously, this is a chapter that has not been written yet. Taz, what are your thoughts so far? Well, you mentioned Reddick and Kyle Busch in the same sentence. I kind of feel like Reddick and Kyle Busch as a team would be pretty dominant, even as a two-car team. I would love to see that. I mean... As I said in chat earlier, six wins amongst the two of them between last year and what we've seen so far this year. Um, 
I mean, it, the only question would be, can Reddick and Kyle Busch put that three car that seems to be subpar at best and put it where the second car is sitting? Because obviously the eight car's got speed somewhere. More speed right. than the three car. And so the question is, does the three car really have the speed or is it really the driver? And I would love, and I would have loved to see uh, Reddick and Kyle Busch stay, but the case now, and I don't think we'll be able to see that because as you said, Chris, Kyle Busch may have like another five years and depending on where Brexton is, I mean, he's running bandoleros now, but who knows? We could be seeing Brexton uh, running the truck series or, uh, Kyle Busch has yet to run the truck series full time and he does not have a truck series championship to his name. So I wouldn't be surprised if Kyle Busch at some point in his career before he fully retires, uh, if he decides to run truck series with Brexton and try to run for a truck series championship. That's a very interesting, uh, Topic there, and you know, it kind of takes me back to where Dale Earnhardt, Dale Earnhardt was on creating DEI under the helm of Richard Childress Racing. And first of all, could you imagine at that time being Dale Earnhardt and going to Richard Childress and saying, "Hey, man, I got my son coming up. I think I'm going to start my own team and kind of get it ready because Junior's going to, we're going to try to get him as a good race car driver and all." And and so you would, you know, you go to one boss. And he's like, oh, you think so now? Well, I mean, I'm the guy around here that signs the check. That's not not what Richard Childers did, right, guys? He was like, hey, how can I help you? It's a great idea, right? I mean, it had to have been like that, right? Or else, you know, I mean, you're talking to Dale Earnhardt. He could have went anywhere he wanted to. He could have created anything he wanted to. Obviously, Richard Childers was his best friend. That's your best friend then he's going to support any decision that you bring to the table. If Kyle Busch can create that kind of relationship with this children's family, I mean, the the the, the future with the Bushes and the, the Childresses, man, it could be a long future. Because the one thing I know for yeah. sure, Hendrick and Gibb fired Kyle Busch. There's a reason why Peyton Manning wears a Broncos jersey in the Hall of Fame. But can I ask anybody why? Because he got fired. And sometimes well, folks thing, don't take too well to get fired. You mentioned that, Chris, with the whole DEI thing. You have to think, if Dale Earnhardt was still alive, how more, how much success would DEI really have? I mean, shoot, for all we know, DEI was great at the start, and then when he passed away, DEI was basically down the toilet. I mean, you had Dale Earnhardt, who was starting on the Cup Series, you know, starting to become uh, starting to become a big name for himself, came in under Dale Earnhardt's wing. And he had a great – he was looking like to have a great career before that big accident that kind of hurt him towards the end. And Michael yeah, Waltrip, accidents. I mean and, – and unfortunately, Michael Waltrip, well, he only really had the Daytona win to back him up. But, and you mentioned Truex there too. Could, was, could Truex have been basically the poster boy – with Dale Earnhardt Jr. anyways. Right. 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 And, and so Kyle Busch has these resources and possibly the blessings from Richard Childress to create 
a franchise, uh, basically a, a company right up underneath the helm of Richard Childress Racing, similar to what, the way Richard Childress paved the way for Dale Earnhardt and DEI. And I think that if that, that's the kind of common sense that's kept Childress in business all these years, and he's got the, the ability to really land two of the next biggest generational son, son of a driver stars because obviously Keelan Harvick is on his way, and we know Brixton Bush is on his way. If I could tie those, both of those drivers into my organization and know that uh, I have them locked down for at least the next 10 years, my gosh, man, the sky's the limit. Like, you know, you're, I don't know what the competition is in the Chevy camp between Trackhouse, Hendrick, and RCR, but I guarantee you every board meeting when RCR sits down, they tr- they are trying to find a way to beat Hendrick at his own game. They wouldn't be around. They wouldn't exist, Like right? That's what you, you hire smart people to do that, whether or not it's feasible I don't. Richard Childress doesn't have Hendrick money, but it doesn't stop him from sitting around trying to figure out how to beat him. I'm going to pass the torch. Well, you know, you're t- you're talking about um, potentially bringing uh, Keelan Harvick into the fold. Don't forget, Keelan has expressed interest in possibly exploring open-wheel racing. So who's to say that he wants to necessarily go the NASCAR route? Right. But what better way to make keep him in NASCAR, right, than to give the 14- or 15-year-old a contract? That's what right. I'm saying. I mean, how do you right. – I mean, Jeff Gordon wanted to go race Indy cars, but, but he got offered a ride in the, in, in the NASCAR. And so that's where I, I feel like – Childress has this upper hand right now with, with Harvick stepping away. And Harvick has an agency as well that I think can work perfect into the re-resurrection of – because it has to be a re-resurrection, right? I mean, Kevin Harvick did a great job carrying this organization through a terrible time. Though Kevin Harvick was not able to win a championship, he bid it for championships year in, year out. And he won Daytona 500s. He won. He he won uh, Indianapolis. I mean, he he won many prestigious races under the Richard Childress banner. Um, has he been more successful when, since he went to Stuart Haas? Yeah, I believe his career was. He's lived two Hall of Fame careers: one at Richard Childress Racing and one at Stuart Haas. I would have chosen the Stuart Haas Racing career over the Richard Childress career just because of consistency. Well, I'm going to put you. I'm going to halt you there, Chris, because Miss Lee mentioned a good point. Keelan didn't mention the F1, so I mean, and you mentioned uh, let Keelan get a uh, contract through NASCAR or whatever. Keelan, if he plays his cards right, you know, he could play. He could get the contract from Stuart Haas and mainly Gene Haas because he can go either way, NASCAR or Formula One. That's true. That is very true. That is wow. Pat Taylor dropping the the hot take right there. Uh, Keelan could very well take the door of of Gene Haas. It could be a way into Formula One racing. Look, 
that nobody in this world wants a, a competitive American racer better more than me. I, I, I'm a fan of Formula One, and I feel that we, even though they come and take take advantage of our racetrack, they don't like Americans racing, uh, and that's been um, in the, in, within the Formula One, and that's been proven with uh, the the Andretti fiasco that's been going on for the last several years. Is Andretti has tried uh, continuously to get into Formula One racing, but there seems to be one roadblock after the other. Um, right. So, you know, I mean, that's that's an interesting door that you opened there, Taz Taylor. Uh, Miss Lee. I just, I, I agree with what Taz says. I, you know, going the route with, with, with Haas could be, because then Keelan keeps his door open either way. And get, and giving that you know that's the team that that Kevin is retiring from, and depending on what his relationship is like with Gene Haas, you know he might be angling that way as well, thinking that you know should Keelan decide he wants to pursue the F1, there's that option. But if not, if he wants to go NASCAR, then he's still got that same route with that same team. Yeah. And look, guys, we will know very soon here what direction Keelan actually goes in because you can't, you know, the one thing that Kevin Harvick was said against Danica Patrick was Danica's not driven these cars long enough to know what they are. So, so that lets me know that Kevin Harvick knows Keelan's got to make a decision quickly of whether or not it's going to be late model stocks at the asphalt track or whether it's going to be overseas go-kart racing. If he chooses overseas go-kart racing and that seems to be the path that he's uh that that he's headed down, obviously that's the route that Keelan Harvick is going to go in. And that and that makes a lot of sense. Um uh you, you know, you're seeing a lot of, you know, Brexton getting the dirt track experience, getting the I, I think that his kind of career's maybe been pre-decided already. Like, Brixton knows that he wants to uh, go and race NASCAR and, and do what his dad's done. I mean, you know, look, the kid is, I mean, I don't know about y'all, but he's uh, a chip off the old block. He looks just Kyle Bush. <laughs> That's for sure. You know, and then after after Keelan and, and um, Brexton, then you got Cash and Owen coming up next too. Not only that, you could possibly have a female driver and one of Ryan Newman's daughters, because I believe one of Ryan Newman's daughters races um, those uh, champ carts or whatever at Millbridge. But is that really the direction that we want to go in with NASCAR? Uh, let me ask you all that since that since that door has opened up. We've seen generational race car drivers, Dale Earnhardt, Dale Earnhardt Jr., Ralph Earnhardt, Richard Petty, Lee Petty, uh, Adam Petty, uh, Kyle Petty, four generations there. Um, the Badans, uh, of course, the brothers. Um, the Wallaces, they're all brothers. Um, Stephen Wallace had a moment, a brief career. No other Wallace's uh, have well, Mike Wallace's girl. She was a she was a truck driver there for a couple of years. Chrissy Wallace, I believe, was her name. Um, 
But is that really the direction we want to see, that uh, all of these drivers, their their kids get free rides? I mean, is that – that kind of feels like the direction racing is going in anyway, right? <laughs> well, who's got the money? Who's got the name recognition? Who's going to be able to pull the sponsors? You know, that's yeah. that's the problem for a lot of these kids coming up through the ranks. They don't have a they don't have name recognition. They don't have the money backing. They can't pull the sponsors. They're pulling teeth to get uh, someone to sponsor them for one race. You know, so yeah, in you know, in a way, you're talking about, you know, you're you're out pricing anybody else, but by the same token, money talks. Right. And, and look, it's not the racing is not the only sport that's went in that direction. There's a reason why there's travel baseball. The reason why there's travel baseball is to exclude those who can't afford to travel, right? And that's kind of the way racing is these days, especially even at your at your local track. There's a lot of traveling racers. What happened to the? You, you go to a racetrack and you're like, well, all these guys are from other places. Where's your local racers? Well, there's not very many now. Well, why not? Well, you know, it's just kind of the direction the sport went in. You know, it's a lot of traveling racers these days. Well, there's a whole fraction of people that are probably really good racers, but they can't afford to travel. Maybe their track closed down or something like that. It's seen in baseball, you know. Uh, they weed out those that they don't want a part of the club because uh, through travel. Um, and the football is the one sport where still to this day they will go and pick you up and bring you to practice. They will take you home after practice, and they will let you live with with somebody during camp. <laughs> so football is still like the American, the true American poor man sport. Like that, you can come from rock bottom and play football and become something one day. Um, that is one of the last sports left to come from the bottom and go to the top. Can you can you guys assess that? Can y'all agree to that? Can you argue it? No, I can't disagree with it. And, you know, it's it's sad because, you know, racing came from grassroots, but grassroots is going by the wayside because not everybody can afford it. You know, junkyard parts, and that's where they went to get their parts for their race car was the junkyard. Now you have to order out of a catalog, and... Some of us couldn't afford the shipping and handling. <laughs> Especially when you're talking about a crate motor <laughs> or a brim transmission. I mean, <clears throat> I mean, I can see what you're saying, but in a sense, define traveling racer because there's guys out there, and I'll use the Northeast Modifieds, for example. There are good grassroots modified racers. Now I'll use local references in this example. There are guys like I will use Matt DiLorenzo for example. He won the Fonda Track Championship last year. He doesn't travel really. He I mean he only travels as far as like Albany Saratoga Speedway, Fonda Speedway, maybe one or two other tracks if that. And the guy's always a top contender no matter where he goes. Now you have 
Matt Shepard, he tra- he runs at a weekly track, Uticarom Friday nights, and Saturdays he's dedicated to Orange County Fair Speedway whenever they run the big block modified class. And outside of that, he goes he goes wherever, and sometimes it's usually where the money speaks or wherever is close to home for him. But Shepard is also one of those traveling races that he could go further into his career, but he's just choosing to stay back in the Northeast modified deal. Look at right. now, if you want to go traveling racer in terms of Stuart Friesen, yeah, he's success, he had his successes in modified racing. Now he's in NASCAR trucks trying to make a name out of there. Uh, he's, I mean, he could make a name for himself doing late model racing if he listened to Tim McCready well, but I guess he, Stuart has other plans for that. But Well, they, there's always the oddity. Look at Derek McGrew Jr., right? Uh, that, that kid doesn't come from a wealthy uh, household, uh, just a modern dad who's busted his ass to make it where he is, and, and McGrew's got the got the talent, got enough talent to, to, to let, to, for these teams to realize and look, man, you know, from that little kid that we had on the show here a few years ago, where he is now, somebody, somebody knew something. Somebody knew this kid was good and he's proven it, no doubt. So there, there's always the exception and, you know, I'm not taking on the poor man or nothing like that, you know, uh, there's, I think I live in Mississippi, man. A lot of people are poor around here, <laughs> you know, uh, that live off of government assistance and, and whatnot. Um, you know, those are that, – unfortunately, that's going to be in, in any place. Uh, so, you know, they're trying to survive. They're not worried about sports, okay? So that's not really who I'm talking about. What I'm really basing this theory off of is the middle class. You've got to have somebody that's willing to write that check for you to race. If you're, if you're, if you're not of the upper salon and, and – $400,000 a year type of annual salary, then you're probably going to need help to get to the cup level or to, uh, you, you know, look at what Joey Logano's parents did, man. They they mortgaged the farm. Denny Hamlin's family mortgaged their, uh, their little shop, their trailer hitch shop that they had. I mean, you know, it's all to pay for um, an opportunity, an opportunity. All right, well, I believe that'll be the topic there that we uh, that we move on from. Um, of course, this past weekend we raced at Portland, Oregon, for the Truck Series. Unfortunate circumstances for jo- Tommy, Joe, Martin. Is that is that correct? Um, had- I'm going to correct you there. Yes. Xfinity ran Portland. Trucks were at Gateway. Oh, my bad. Xfinity, yes. Xfinity was at Portland. Trucks were at Gateway. Both were fairly good races. Um, I believe Cole Custer won at Portland. I'm trying to think of who won who won the truck race. Oh, it was Grant Enfinger. Good job, Grant. Wow, man, hell of a ride. And look, that's the guy who took a bet on his career and 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 got it right. Right? I mean, Grant uh, could have been out of the sport. Uh, instead, he took a part-time job. He took a part-time ride, turned it into a full-time ride. Now I think the guy's got two wins this year already. So uh, hell of a job by the finger, the end finger. Um, 
But back to the cup side, I mean, everybody wants to to be surprised about the Kyle Busch win. I mean, you can look back on the guy at the pole. He led the most laps. He was the victor in the end. Um, you know, uh, that's quite a dominating dominating effort by Kyle Busch. Definitely not one of those that he just flipped up into the wind. He proved all night long he had what it took uh, to to be there at the end to get the win. Of course, we've seen a lot of temper flaring uh, over the weekend, and they, including <laughs> uh, one driver calling for another driver to be suspended. I think we'll be waiting uh, till Santa Claus comes back for that suspension. I don't think it's coming. Um, but uh, there was also another uh, uh, temper flare, correct, right? Uh, Taz, tell you, you want to tell us about it? Yeah, it looked like John Hunter Nemechek had some tempers flaring, not only on one driver, but two drivers. And one of them was his teammate during the Portland race. Um, John Hunter had a run-in with uh, Sheldon Creed, and Creed kind of returned the favor. And then John Hunter um, took a blast from Sammy Smith, and then returned the fa- and then he returned the favor on that. So it seemed like John Hunter Nemechek was uh, not only giving shots, but taking shots. <laughs> and it was all happening on the racetrack. <laughs> I mean, it uh, looked, like, looked like the incident with Sheldon Creed. Um, I remember, right, He John Hunter took or went deep into a corner, took out Sheldon Creed, and Creed wasn't entirely pleased, so when Creed got to John Hunter, he took advantage and kind of gave him a little nudge, and Nemechek went around. I think at that point, Nemechek kind of uh, knew where he was standing with Creed at that point. And then Sammy Smith came in, pretty much blasted uh, John Hunter all the way, and John Hunter was like, nah, the heck with you. And I'm sure there's going to be some some team communications after or during, happening this week in the GGR camp for Xfinity. Yeah, most definitely. A uh, lot of <laughs> a lot of tempers flared. Is there is there really a reason for that this year? Um, is this the type of racing that has that we've evolved to? Of course, I love a good fight. It's, I love to go see a good fight and a race breakout. There's nothing better than Going to see a fight and a good race breaks out. I mean, that's part of the excitement of going to the racetrack is the extracurricular. Um, It's given us storyline after storyline after storyline after storyline. It gives us plenty to talk about, so I love that even more. Uh, But what what is the main cause for these hipper tantrums, for these hipper flares? Miss Lee, uh, we've been around racing uh, for long enough. Um, I I think it's been kind of an increase over the last couple of years of temper tantrums and and fighting at the racetrack. Do you see why? I mean, do you have an idea of maybe why we're seeing more hot heads and temper flares than uh, what we've seen in years past? I, I know this word respect comes up a lot, but that doesn't have much detail. Do you like to go with that? Well, I think part of it has to do with 
the ages and maturity levels of the drivers. Um, you know, you don't you don't very often see the older guys getting into fisticuffs. You know, they're generally they've been around each other long enough. They respect each other enough to go sit down and talk about it. Not always, but for the most part. But it's, I think it is you can a generation of... Right. But it's, you know, I, I think it's a generational thing. You know, it used to be, and, and one of the drivers made this comment, and I, I can't recall who it was, maybe one of you guys do, but talked about how back in the day you would go to the other driver's hauler and he'd sit down and he'd talk it out. But today, everybody's an armchair warrior on their phones. And so I think there's a little less respect and a little more friction from that because you get behind your phone and you can say whatever you want to say but you forget that you got to deal with these guys on a, on a weekly basis at the track. Right. You know, that's an interesting point that you brought up there. And, and, you know, the first thing that I thought when Denny Hamlin created a podcast was, oh, this is going to be where his platform is, and then he's going to piss everybody off on his platform, and then it's going to make his job that much harder on the racetrack. But it's almost like Denny Hamlin kind of knew that that was not the route to go. And he's he's one of these weird people in, the, in, in, in life that he can put on one hat and be a certain way, and then he can take that hat off and he can become something else. And it's almost like, you know, this whole podcast thing that he's created hasn't really caused the disturbance amongst other drivers as I thought it would. It's actually stirred up more with NASCAR than it was than it has been with the uh, pissing off uh, fellow drivers and such, and basically thinking that Hamlin had gone Hollywood. Now, of course, you know you've always had personalities in racing. You know, Michael Waltrip's been a, 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 a video, a, a, a TV personality throughout most of his career. Um, Greg Biffle, uh, Ken Schrader, these guys, they. I don't know if you guys remember the, on the old uh, Speed Channel, but, you know, there was a similar show like Race Up, and it was Biffle and Waltrip. Who all was on that show? Miss Leah, you, you remember, don't you? Oh, gosh, that's been, been so long. Oh, my gosh, it was for, forever ago. So, you know, we've had personalities, TV even even Neil Bonnet and Daryl Waltrip, they were still racing when Winter Circle was, was going on, but you know, being the type of personality Denny Hamlin was, we kind of expected him to kind of stir the pot and maybe create friction amongst other people. But it's kind of been the, the, the exact opposite. But back to the main topic of what we were talking about about the the stress level of these drivers are under the tempers that that happen, the the uh, the, the heat ups uh, and and the confrontations between the two drivers. I think you're exactly right, Miss Lee. A lot of this has to do with. These guys don't hang out with each other anymore. They're all stuck behind their cell phones. And so this is the generation of we don't say it to your face. We say it on the telephone, right? And we know as well as I, I mean, I'm from old school. 
you got your mouth knocked in if you said some of the things you say on uh that you get away with saying on Twitter, right? I mean, you wouldn't dare exactly. say that 50 years ago, 40 years ago, 30 years ago. You'd have got your ass kicked. They'd have beat your ass, and then everybody would have beat your ass because it was disrespectful. So, but exactly. now, you know, you kind of get away with that, and you're able to you're able to uh, live in your own world amongst your own yes men because these guys make a whole lot of money, so they have they have yes men that work for them. And then what I mean by yes man is somebody who never says, hey. You don't need to do that because of the implications and the complications that can be created with this. You need to do this instead. So uh, these yes men, they're like, oh, yeah, post that. That'll be funny. <laughs> you know, and so, hey, man, you, you, I jeopardize your career for that, you know. Um, so I believe Miss Lee has a great point there. I believe um, that uh, drivers are not personal anymore. Um, I think the last really gang of, fa- of friends amongst drivers is really the Bubba Wallace, Ron Blaney, Chase Elliott group, right? Those are, that seems to be the only posse uh, that, that seems to exist anymore in, in racing, right. and that's not where it comes from. I mean, the Alabama gang was a group of racers who traveled together. Exactly, uh, and, 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 and so- these guys, these guys spent every weekend together racing, but during the week. Their families were interacting. They were interacting in the race shops. If somebody needed a part or needed some advice, they called each other, you know, and it's it's just, it's, it's way different from that respect. Wow. Way different. Did you feel the emphasis in that way different past? I know you did. Bring it to the table, baby. Uh, What's boy. the difference? Why has this been created? Why has this type of atmosphere been created at the cup level? I mean, it's hard to beat what Miss Lee just brought to the table, and and I mean it's, it, that's that's it. Like that's it, if you can't figure that out, then I'm not sure what planet you're on. But I know somewhere you have you have something that you can add to that. I just I feel like we're kind of starting to see some of the younger generation um, kind of bring out their personalities, but at the same time, I feel like we're missing out on it. And and I remember watching a short on this. Somebody made the point of if you look at the F1, or I think they said IndyCar did this too, I think where NASCAR is missing this one versus, like, in terms of personality with the drivers, I think if they do something, like, behind the scenes of, like, what are these drivers up to, you know, like, outside the racetrack, is obviously the only personalities we see nowadays anymore is what these drivers are on the track, which is basically either nothing or they want to throw a punch or two if if that even gets to that point. Um, I feel like we could get more personality out of these drivers to kind of express themselves. I mean, Bubba Wallace, we, we already see the personality out of him. Gregson, um, we're kind of seeing him shine a bit. And, I mean... Blaney, we we saw some personality in terms of how emotional he can get with the race car, 
or well, not with the race car, but like just him as a racer. Obviously, with that winless streak, he broke. He it brought emotion. It brought emotion to him. So we kind of knew that this guy, you know, really works hard. He's really passionate about it. You know, and some of the other drivers, like you don't really see much of that, I guess. So you think so I feel like, you you think that all these guys need is a little bit of a little bit of TV time, a little bit of press, that maybe the media could help uh, better the racing atmosphere amongst the racers by being more involved and getting them more involved. Is that is that is that kind of what you're saying? Like putting yeah, them on the I mean, stage as, as what they yeah, used to be. Because like that. you said, when you're doing those kind of things, you're having to bring all these guys together. When you're doing photo shoots and stuff like that, you're when you're marketing your drivers, you have to have them in the same room together, and that's where friendships are made, correct? Yeah, because, I mean, if you look at – um, because somebody mentioned with like F1, they have like driver profiles or whatever, kind of um, like say if NASCAR Race Hub, for example, did like a ten fifteen minute you know little segment of hey let's let's spotlight you know these two drivers you know up and coming or these new guys on the block for the Cup Series, like. Tell us who they are. What are they like? You know, I mean, we're only seeing what we get on the track. And if you look at um, somebody was saying with F1, they kind of you know show more of who they are um, off the track. I mean, look at look at um, SRX for example. They highlight a driver at one point during their racing broadcast, so you know who. So like, in case if somebody like say that tunes in that came from the IndyCar world but doesn't know about NASCAR world, they see who that driver from the NASCAR world is like and ask what their personality is. You know, that sort of deal. And I feel like NASCAR is missing that little niche. I don't know if niche is the right word to say, but but I think you're picking up what right. I'm putting down there, Chris. I agree. I agree. And that's a great point that you bring to the table there. Uh, just just simple marketing, bringing these guys together, doing bios, uh, you know, um, and I'm not saying that they don't. I, I remember I've seen something on Eric Amarola being from Cuba and uh, Daniel Suarez growing up in Mexico. Um, but when you get outside of maybe the drivers that have, uh, uh, you know, other than American descent, um you kind of are lost. Like, where did you come from? What did you do? You know, uh, we don't know much about Carson Osavar. What do we know about that kid? We don't know very much about him. We don't know. Much, we don't know who Sam Mayer is. We don't know where that kid come from. We don't know where he got his experience. We don't. We didn't see him in Bandoleros. We didn't. We didn't watch him on Thursday Night Thunder. You know. So there's, like you said, there's really no history amongst these. These, these, some of these guys, there's no origin of where they come from. So in reality, it is kind of a, a fight it out amongst yourselves, right? A, who's going to make whose who's name here? You know, other than outside the names of John Hunter Nemechek and, and uh, you, know, you know, other like Austin Sendrick, whose father is, uh, you know, a, a big wig at Penske. Um, there's a lot of guys that, okay, so now you're able to say, well, these this guy's got his – 
ride because his dad works at Penske. Okay, well, that kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier. But then you've got a guy like Sam Mayer, and you don't even know where he come from. Is there? Can anybody here tell me anything about Sam Mayer? Maybe you could tell me an ARCA win that he had. Maybe you can tell me that he raced at some track somewhere. Can it, Can you guys tell me anything about Sam Mayer? Not really. And I'm going to go back with what we've talked about earlier with generational talent in terms of media-wise. So Kyle Busch has has his own YouTube channel, and so does Kyle Larson. Look at the both of them and their kids racing. Most of their videos that Larson and Bush do is basically what their kids do, Brexton and Larson and Owen do. And you see with Brexton, when he's at the track, when he's in the racing mode, he's focused. You see that he's got that focused mentality. But when he's not focused on racing, he's being a kid and having fun, you know. He's, he's at the racetrack having a blast and um the latest one of the latest videos i saw from kyle larson was when uh owen was racing at um at millbridge him and cash boyer had an incident on the track that came off hysterical owen came well let me tell you owen came off and he was ticked and he's and he's like i wanted to I wanted to hook him back or something like that, and he ended up he ended up doing the old fashioned confront him at the trailer type deal, and that's something that we don't we you wouldn't see from Kyle at all. Owen kind of took it into his own hands. That was funny. His his teenage his teenage crew chief carrying him off that was hysterical. And what you're what you're kind of bringing here to vision that that I'm getting from this is basically. Even myself, I've, I've been critical of dirt track drivers and stuff who they don't seem to know how to handle. They want the TV money, but they don't want to be the TV personality. And that's something that's kind of stuck with me. And I haven't really brought it to attention because I didn't know how to express the way that I felt about it. But obviously what you're telling me is and I see these YouTube channels created amongst these kids and all. I believe even though we've had – and all of us sitting at the table here, we've been raised with TV and television and spotlights and stuff like that. But the one thing I think that I've forgotten about all this is the camera wasn't necessarily on me. And, hey, let me bring this to the table. I am an announcer, all right, and I have announced in front of crowds of 3,000, 5,000 people. There was a moment of pause during one of those races at one point in time, and I remember all of a sudden realizing, like, for the last hour, I've carried this crowd just by talking to them. And the moment that I realized all that, it was very, very overwhelming. And I literally had to get out of the box that I was in. Of course, I'm in a media box, right? I'm in a, I'm in a, I'm in a suite. And it just it just felt like the room closed in on me. Like, holy crap, Chris. You're literally carrying a crowd through a rain delay, and there's 5,000 people out here who's hanging on to every word that you say because they want nothing more than to be told that the race will continue. But that's not what you're able to tell, right? I mean, put yourself in my shoes. You're not able to make that prediction. You just have to keep the crowd going. And in that moment, I realized, man, whoa. So I get out, I go outside, and my wife's like, what's wrong? You look like a ghost. What's happened? 
And I'm like, dude, do you realize I'm talking to 5,000 freaking people? And she was like, yeah, so? <laughs> You're not the one talking to them. That's why you I, yeah, I was just going to say that. She's not the one talking to them. Right. So what I'm getting to is we're not used to the camera being on us. Us these guys on Flow Racing don't know how to handle the camera being put in their freaking face. You know why? Because it is still new to us. Not to our generation, our next, not to our children, not to the next generation. They have had cell phones, cameras, and all from day one. Mama's been over there with the cell phone. Oh, look at my baby. Oh, look at my baby. Our children are programmed. Holy hell, I got I got goosebumps because we're in the gospel tonight. Woo, race fans, race chat, live fans, I tell you what. We we are in the gospel of, of racing right now. I tell you what, there's just no way. Man, I tell you. Woo. Um, these children, they're born with cameras in their face. No wonder they're able to just act like normal children. And no wonder these older racers just make you want to turn your TV off when Flow Racing showing them in their pits and they look like they got a thumb up their fucking ass. <laughs> they don't know how to handle a camera being in their face, and it makes perfect sense. So, so we are in that generation where everything sucks amongst marketing for these drivers and all because they really are just trying to grasp the change all of a sudden, within a, a man's career, he went from this is the way it is to where it is now. But our children, they're programmed already. They feel it. They they know they're under the cameras and the spotlights from the time that they arrive under the microscope. That's something that you, me, and Taz, and Craig, and all of us, there's deep down inside of us, we all feel that. And like I said, Craig can probably attest to this. He, he's played in front of big crowds. There is that moment where you don't want to realize how good things are going because you have one bad night and you'll understand, you know, and, and the world can turn up on top of you real quick. It's one thing when you're doing a gig for 10, 15 folks. It's another thing when you're doing a gig for 5,000 people and a fight breaks out that could turn into a riot, okay? And that's, that's, that's a true deal. Like, that's happened several times at the Street Stock Nationals. And you have to have that level head to say, wait a minute, I can't entice this crowd any more than it already is. I've got to pull the reins back and make sure that anything that comes out of my mouth doesn't create more of a fiasco that's already occurred. And I think, you know, that's something that, of course, you have to be in the – you have to be in a situation to kind of understand how to handle it. At the same time, that's what I'm saying with these new, with this next generation of kids. They've 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 already experienced that. It didn't. It wasn't a learning process for them. That's why Owen Larson and Cash Boyer and these kids they're so talented in front of the camera. You're like, oh my god, look at these kids. They're so cute. How do they do that? You know, I couldn't get my kids to say, I like Santa Claus. <laughs> they would eat them back long while they wanted from Christmas. Oh no. <laughs> Give me a peppermint. <laughs> oh Lord, I'm talking too much. Fast saving me here, buddy. But I mean, you I understand with in terms of like the younger generation, like this is how they had to go. Like feel like this is they kinda need the 
some of these younger drivers, you know, kind of need that extra, extra bit. So that way they're like, because you have to think, us current NASCAR fans, or at least the diehard fans, let's put it that way, we're not going to leave the sport no matter what, right? Right. But if NASCAR right. really wants to bring, but if NASCAR wants to keep bringing in newer fans and bring in the viewership to make it increase more and more, you've got to highlight drivers of who they are. You've got to bring the personalities in. Instead of just, here's the race, and then if something happens, oh, this is who they are. Like, you're not going to bring in a fan. Yeah, that's where slow racing is going to really help us in this in this new contour. We're going to get to watch firsthand. We didn't get to watch Chase Elliott. We had to go down to the Snowball Derby to watch Chase Elliott or live at Hickory Motor Speedway or somewhere where Chase Elliott was racing at, right? We, we've never really gotten to watch the development of a young driver. We're going to continue this. This is amazing. This is good content. And but the, and now we have, have the ability. And then with Ryan Blaney, you had to, to look watch. through. With Ryan Blaney, you had to look through uh, Dave Blaney at the dirt tracks. Right. Right. But 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 what I'm saying here is, we can now watch a Keelan or a Brexton. We can watch them in their early years, all the way through their careers, with just a simple app like Flow Racing. And so I think that uh, as you, these kids, like, they're moving up, Owen and Larson and all these these uh, uh, these kids as they get older, we're, like, we're already buying into them, right? We're, look, we've seen Dale Jr. in a uniform, in a, in a DEI, in a Dale Earnhardt pit crew uniform when he was, like, 11 years old. And we're like, oh, that guy's going to drive a race car. All I've ever wanted is to drive a race car. You know? Huh? Huh? It's been the most played freaking video in the world. Huh? You know what I'm talking about, right? So we're we're talking about not just a, a future Dale Jr. We're talking about Braxton, Keelan, Cash. Fucking shit. <laughs> like, we have the ability to watch it. Like, you know, they're going to own NASCAR by the time they get there, right? Because I'm already intrigued to know where these kids are going to go and how they're going to get there. I mean, it's it's a, it's a done deal already. It's just how good are they? How good are they going to be? Well, and, and, that, and that's going to be what – and that's what I was – exactly what I was going to say was, and what if they get up there and they have no talent? Impossible. You know why? Because you can take the least talented person in this room, and you can work them 10,000 times. And after that 10,000th time, they're going to have an ability that nobody else has. You know why? It's called the 10,000 rule. When you do it that many times, you're going to get good at it. But it takes that many times. It takes that threshold to become that kind of achiever. Most people never make it to that threshold. These kids are going to have 10,000 miles, 10,000 laps, 10,000 races under their belt before they're 18 years old and asleep. They're going to be better than we could have ever imagined. Because right. they're going to be but how, at 18 years but how, old. But how we, many other we kids... We late model drivers. How many other kids are going to hit that milestone 
but don't have the money or the name recognition to go with it that are going to go nowhere. Right. It depends on how 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 good they are in the beginning. Um, it to dictate how far in this game that they that they can go. Because they first of all, they don't need to be racing in the same spot, honestly, or do they need to be racing in the same spot? Do they need to be competing against each other, or do we need to be watching from separate ball fields as we would like a, a baseball player? Because I think it would better serve them to all race on the track themselves. Look, if their parents have endless amounts of money, their their NASCAR career is almost a guarantee, right, if they want to continue to do it. Now, you could suck as bad as Stephen Wallace. You're exactly right, Ms. Lee. Remember, there was a driver out there that sucked really bad, and his name was Stephen Wallace. And there's still – you go to Twitter and you look up Stephen Wallace. There is hmm. some terrible things said about that guy. Way worse right. than the evidence where he was. Way worse. I mean, Stephen Wallace was – he was the joke of all jokes in 2012 and 2013 and probably 2011 right. as well, if I'm not right. If I'm not mistaken, there was not anybody who got jumped on more than than Stephen Wallace. So, yeah, you can come from money and still suck ass. Uh, but uh, um, for the most part, I think that those that you would lose interest. One of these boys would lose interest if they're just not that good. And that's going to happen too, of course. You know, girls are going to come along and um, commitment. Like you're talking about lazy kids, right? They're 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 from uh, they're, they're they're from the higher end of the world, right? They don't they're not required to do like all the kind of stuff that most kids would do unless they have good parents, right? Yeah. Um, obviously, uh, Brexton is probably learning just as much at a racetrack that my kids learn every day at school, right? I mean, he's learning a whole lot real quick. And when you put a kid in in a ring with a bunch of adults, you learn even quicker. And I think that that's something we missed here when we were talking about the subject of these drivers getting into it with each other. Um, I think that, uh, um, that, that level of respect, where, where was I going with that? Shit. Well, let's cut that. Cause I, 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 I that stalled too long on the thought. It'll come back to me. But, uh, anyway, um, yeah, now I'm completely lost. Talk. Somebody save me. Y'all know it happens about once or twice a show. I think I think, I, what could... I think that we're seeing we're we're actually seeing a good level of talent um, from Brexton and uh, Keelan. Owen and Cash are still a little young yet. So I think it's a little too young to, to stay. You know, they need a little more time on the track. They need to grow up a little bit. You know, we'll see in another couple of years how they're doing. But, you know, it's interesting that we're focused so much on those four. But they're also the four that are most out there as far as I know, and I think that has to do with the fact that their parents have the experience that they have 
and they're seeing, they're thinking in the back of their minds, okay, not only what can I teach my child or where can I find the best teachers for them, but they're also in the mindset of marketing and setting them up from that respect. And again, it falls back to money and time. You know, so it's just it, it's just an interesting perspective. And Chris, I just got to tell you, you know, I'm always going to play devil's advocate to you. I love it. I love you too. I love it. I love a good debate. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I'm, I love it. I like to see opinions. I always have. I'm fascinated by – I'm very passionate about what I feel, but I also – I love I love to be wrong. I think that that's probably the the one side that most people don't understand about a good debater. He doesn't mind being wrong. He doesn't mind being up one. Um, I think that uh, that, (laughs) – That's kind of the – you go in and you know you, you play with the bear. You're probably going to get the paw, right? So you're waiting on the paw. <laughs> you want it to come. You know you're not messing with the bear if you ain't waiting on the paw. <laughs> Look, I see my cat and dog do this all the time. It's 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 a fun game. <laughs> One time it's the cat instigating it. The next time it's the dog instigating it. It's, it's just it's fun. It's what it's it's what it's about. Um. And if you haven't found out, Race Chat Live is a very opinionated show, and sometimes you're not going to agree with the things that we say and we bring to the table, and other things are going to be like, that's the most um, realest thing I've ever heard anybody say. So hopefully we have more of that than we have of you're absolutely crazy and don't know what the hell you're talking about. But, um, you know, I I feel like I'm comfortable with the people that I'm surrounded by at this table. Um, I I, I do I know for a fact that Miss Lee can compete with me at any point in time with my opinion, and, and so can Taz Taylor. And we all know me and Craig, we may bump heads, but we probably agree on more topics than we disagree with, and that's kind of what it, what's aggravating with us most of the time is we actually agree with each other so much that it that it creates conflict in other areas. <laughs> I love you, man. Hopefully you're listening to the show. Um, all right, so – Man, we have killed some time over a couple of topics. SHR penalties. Let's let's bring that to the table. Um, so this was a manipulation. I have used, I've heard the word cons- uh, uh, what is uh, damn what um, counterfeit. Counterfeit is the word that I was looking for. Um, I've, I haven't heard a direct explanation yet. I'm not sure if we will have any. But this seemed like a pretty severe penalty, and this was one of those penalties, unlike the Lovers or anything like that. There is no question that there was something wrong here, but the question is, is was it um, – Denny Hamlin brought up a great point on his podcast. He said that this could have been something that was supposed to be used for a show car, and it got accidentally put onto um, a race car. Now, whether or not that would be a performance like, How does that happen? How does that happen? You know, it doesn't. It's, 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 it's a race car owner, um, hopefully keeping the heat off of another race car owner, and we both know that. 
they tried to manipulate something. They got caught. They got handed a hell of a penalty, guys. An L3 penalty, 120 points. How much was the fine, Taz Taylor? $120,000 so, so the L3, So the L3 penalty uh, that was served to the SHR 14 car, that's the Chase Briscoe machine, um, they've been docked 120 points in both owner and driver standings, and they lost 25 playoff points should Briscoe and the team qualify for the postseason and a $250,000 fine and an and suspension in the next six points races. So so Gateway was already number one, so they have five races. So uh, crew chief John Klausmeyer, uh is the crew chief that was suspended. He's already got one with Gateway, so he's got five more left to go. Wow. Ouch. So the hand come down. I mean, you know, keep on cheating, so, I mean, guys. Briscoe, so really, Briscoe Brisco lost out on basically five wins. That's how many playoff points he got docked. So he would basically need six wins to make up for it. That's, that's, that's where this doesn't become fair to the driver, right? Like, the driver had nothing to do with this. And if I was Chase Briscoe... I would want an apology. I mean, I I don't know if I would want an apology, but I hope his team apologized to him when he showed up to the shop. Because well, that yeah, put the especially especially since they decided him. not to appeal it. Right. So they're accepting defeat, no matter what. Like there's there's no doubt that this was probably something that they got caught doing. The fact that they declined to appeal it says everything. Well, my question of concern is, yeah, it's not so much the driver's fault, but did the driver really know? But but did the driver know about it? Like, I kind of feel like the driver has to know about something here in this deal. I mean, I understand what Chris was saying, but I'm going to play the question of, does the driver know about any of these things that that kind of happen? I mean, I understand, like, maybe during the week if they're not at the shop as much as, like, the crew guys, but even at the track, though, I mean, the driver is there. So the driver kind of has to know something. Well, unless you're an engineer like Ryan Newman, though, or actually physically wrenching on the car, does the driver know? I don't think so. I think a driver knows that his team's going to go and compete at whatever uh, they can. They're going to try to find whatever advantage they they can. So you kind of forgive them immediately, like from the go, like you don't hold it against them. But at the same time, in this environment that we're in, in this type of racing environment, um, you just you you know you have to. There's no way that Chase Briscoe can dig himself out of this hole. And he's basically been eliminated from a championship before he even gets started. Right. Um, that's, that's, that's a tough one to hold. That is a tough one to hold, man. And, and we've seen it last year with Brad Keselowski's penalty and how bad that that was in RFK. Is, I mean, uh, SHR isn't 
doing any, any better statistically than RFK was I, last year. So. I mean, shoot. Um, you know, the BK penalty still pisses me off because, I mean, I'm glad NASCAR fixed a, <clears throat> I'm glad NASCAR fixed the wrong with Colleg, but I still find a BS. Unless there was something on the Brad Keselowski deal last year in comparison to the Colleg Hendrick deal for for this year, um, or unless it was like a different uh, part of the car, whatever. But I still find the whole BK thing last from last year, BS, and in comparison to the Hendrick Colleg deal that got overturned. Right. I just don't know why you don't appeal it regardless, right, guys? I mean, like, you you, you hope that you get the same appeals panel from – I'm not sure you have the same argument. I'm not sure how you argue it. I really don't, but it's, it almost – it's almost uh, eerie by the fact that they refuse to um, – uh, I mean, you appeal it, right? You always appeal it. You appeal it just yeah, because. I, I, mean, I would have appealed it just just to appeal it. If nothing else, if Chase Briscoe truly had no idea, why did you not appeal to at least get some of – the driver's penalty points reduced. Yeah, at least right. like reduce them in half. Like say, uh, reduce the uh, 120 and 25 to like 60 and 15 or something like that. Okay. You know, do I you, don't, you guys do... don't even reduce don't even reduce the team points, but reduce the driver points. Right. Right. You. I mean, you at least try that. Because because in the end, you, you know, we're talking about a hundred, two hundred fifty thousand, two hundred forty thousand dollar fine, whatever. But in the end, tell me the difference between the end of the year payout points between sixteenth and twenty sixth. I guarantee you, that's several million dollars. So Stuart Haas Racing actually lost several million dollars. Because if Chase Briscoe right. doesn't find some way to get himself into the playoffs, then this team could never regroup that that point that point loss, and end the year somewhere around twenty six to maybe twenty ninth even, depending on how bad he spirals out of control. Now that's the difference between sixteenth payout and points and twenty six. There's a big difference there, guys. There's a whole lot of more money lost in that than what than what we see on the front end. There's a whole back end of that that really puts a lot of pressure on Chase Briscoe and the entire team. You know, whatever, whoever decided to put that on there, um, we should be hearing about a firing today coming out of Stuart Haas Racing. And I think that's the problem. I think that's there lies the issue. Until people are held accountable for these decisions, until owners say, wait a minute, I trusted you, Andy Petrie, or I trusted you, uh, Chad Knauss, that you weren't going to make this. Of course, we know Chad Knauss. He's going to – that dude is the master of all cheating. He's, he he is smoky unit uh, with a law degree. There <laughs> I mean, you go. <laughs> you know, uh, so we know he's cheating. <laughs> you know, but at the same time, if these guys aren't being held accountable, if we didn't hear today that such and such got fired, lost their job, then it's business as usual, and I'm just not sure if this is sustainable for NASCAR, um, for the for 
the competitors to, to levy these types of penalties. Like, how do you survive? I guess if everybody gets the, the penalty, it's not that bad. But um, until we start seeing more of these penalties, maybe yeah, that's what they're the, hoping. But what is a penalty like that going to do to somebody like Rick Ware Racing versus Stuart Haas? Of course. It's going to wipe them out. Right. Rick Ware would just have to close his door, send in a car along. Exactly. So they're not even levied the uh, the ability to cheat like that. And God forbid they buy somebody else's part, a uh, used part that may be a counterfeit part. Like how do they know now if they're buying a used part from another team if that wasn't a manipulated part? Right, but that wasn't and, a counterfeit part. Right, and how do you prove that? And that's a that's a Pandora's box, Miss Lee. That is a Pandora's box because even Carl Long said, "Man, I didn't. That wasn't my motor. <laughs> I got the fine part. It wasn't my motor. <laughs> you know, he borrowed right. that motor. Well, that's probably why it was loaned to him." <laughs> He didn't, he didn't realize that uh, when you rent a $180 hotel room uh, that's probably sitting across the street from the federal courthouse when all the rest of the rooms are going for $300 a, a, a night. So, yeah, um, you live and learn. <laughs> right. If y'all are wondering what experience I'm talking about, I rented a room uh, for the weekend in Nashville, and I was looking amongst the rooms. And I was like, "Well, this is this is nice. Like, this is a this is a Hilton, so it's it's a good room, and it's cheaper than all the rest of them." Hey, cool. We get there, and it's across the street from the federal courthouse. I got my view of the city was the federal courthouse. Um, yeah, so um, I seen FBI agents. That was fun. That was fun. I even took a couple of pictures of them. I bet they don't know that. Um, but I just admitted it on the podcast, so I'm kind of stupid. Oh, shit. Anyway, um, let's see. Where do we go from here? SHR penalties. Wow. Yeah, it really puts a booger on the team. It puts Chase Briscoe in a hole that he's not going to be able to dig out of. And all I can say is let the next person go out there and do something stupid. You know? And, 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 and at what time and, and penalty – I, like, what is the difference in this part and the lovers, right? That's what I want to know. Because if those were manipulated lovers, they didn't say that they were counterfeit. They they said they were manipulated. So what is the difference between that L2 penalty and, and the L3 penalty where this was a counterfeit part? Um, obviously, if those parts – I understand that NASCAR uh, passes out these parts. They're like Lego pieces, so – I do understand that, but even still, a manipulation versus a counterfeit—it's still, it's still cheating, right? So, at what basis is the L two penalty versus L three? Is it because it's Stuart Haas it's the L three penalty, and because it was Hendrick it's the L two? Explain that gap to me. I think in the sense, I think in the sense, because I think if I remember right. With the Hendrick Colleague deal versus the Stuart Haas, I don't know if. Uh, to me, it sounds to me in a way it sounds the same, but obviously it's 
uh, the wording, obviously the wording is different, but it could be, it could mean different things too. Like with the Hendrick Colleague deal, it was like an altered part versus counterfeit. So am I guessing this, this altered part between the Colleague Hendrick deal, like they took a part that was manufactured and they kind of, I don't know, kind of like changed it a bit versus um, versus where Stuart Haas tried to make the same part on their make this part that they counterfeited like on their own to kind of get away with it. That's my guessing, but I don't know. That that's that's my interpretation as well, Taz. But I mean, like to me. To me, either way, alter counterfeit. It, they kind of share the same definition, but that, but if there's a different definition, that's the only way I can break it down to. Well, I mean, I, I respect that. I, I'm just saying, I just I have a hard time grasping how NASCAR levies these penalties and what makes one so ridiculously large and the other not so much, and one gets away with it and the other doesn't. So one one will appeal it no matter what because they have friends within the appeal process, and the other says, well, hell, I know I ain't got those friends, so what's the fucking point of, uh, <laughs> of, of appealing the process? We're guilty until proven innocent, right? So the other team over there across the, across the highway, they're innocent until proven guilty. It just seems to be that that's the tone that's been set uh, by NASCAR, and, and I'm one of the ones that says, hey, I want to question this. I want to know why this penalty is so much more severe than the other penalty. And, you know, who's the next guy to throw a little bone out? And, you know, um, how did NASCAR figure this out? They took it to the Research and Development Center, I guess, and they took the uh, the car out piece by piece. But if it was, if it was a, a counterfeit, then that counterfeit, uh, obviously, was carrying the same VIN numbers because there's that that word in itself has meaning, right? Do I do we need to look up the definition of counterfeit to know the meaning exactly? Because there is a reason why that terminology was used. So uh, my idea is that this part was created in house, and it was marked and deceived as a part that had been issued to them. So where is that issued part? Because if it's counterfeit, then it was created from something else. Where is that part at? Or was that is that how that car wound back up at the Research and Development Center was because they were told on? See, that's, that's the whole plot to this we'll probably never know. It is good talking points. So I, I'll, I'll let you take it, Ms. Lee. Well, you know, supposedly NASCAR told us that, you know, the whole fine and appeals process is going to be, quote, unquote, more transparent going forward. So we'll have to see, you know, is over the next couple of weeks. Appeal it? Well, Maybe we'll, that's we'll why Stuart Haas Racing didn't appeal it. Right. Well, yeah, you raise a very wow. good point there. But we'll have to see whether or not we get more details about it. But, you know, what what you said about it being counterfeit, um, you know, versus an alteration, pairs well with Taz's explanation. 
and so that's that's what we need to that's that's what we as fans need NASCAR to clarify. Okay, we understand alterations to a standardized part. This being a quote unquote counterfeit part. Number one, how was that determined? Number two, like you said, did somebody snitch on them? What led them to take that particular car back? Is that standardized part floating around out there somewhere? You know, right. is... Go ahead. Miss Lee, could this part be maybe a simple part that has been made before or could be made very easily in-house and basically they're just getting the shaft by paying for something that's well overpriced? Because doesn't that happen so many times when you limit a product and you you make it a certain, of, of you know, a, a, a priority part, like it becomes more expensive? But yet, they, all of these race teams have 3D printing machines and whatnot, and can create uh, some of these parts in-house for a lot cheaper than what they could pay for them. Is that maybe maybe there was, exactly. maybe there was a cost it, concern in this? Exactly. Well, you know, you got to think about it. For all these years, all these teams—they've got CNC lathes and and stuff in their shops. So yeah, right. they can, they've they've made all this stuff in the past. You know, maybe they didn't want to pay. Say the the standardized part was five hundred dollars, but they knew they could make it for under a hundred. Right. Is that what we're looking at here? They obviously we don't, thought well enough that they could get away with it. That's that's the key to the pudding, right? That's the key to the to the mystery door. That that's where we say, wait a minute. You know, they. They may have they they went to such detail. If what I'm hearing is correct, they went to such detail that had that car not gone back to the research and development center, had there not been something above all this, there's no way that they would have been able to tell that that part didn't come from the manufacturer. Because at any point in time, that car could have went to victory lane, right? Right. I mean, that's feasible. So he could have finished in the top parts of cars that are going to get teched a little bit more seriously, right? It was I right. don't believe it was by happenstance that he got that his car got pulled to the research and development center. I, I'm just not sure that that's happening anymore. I feel like maybe somebody let the cat out of the bag that this has been going on, that people are manipulating parts. Maybe it was a part that was destroyed, and instead of getting it recertified, they didn't mark it as destroyed, and they created a better product or a, a a clone product of that and that's how it got because obviously every single part that comes from a distributor has what on it serial number so if you're talking about a counterfeit part and you're talking about a part that's been handed out by a distributor it's guaranteed that part has a serial number on it right and that's where the word counterfeit comes into play so obviously right. it was a it was a, it was a big penalty. Obviously it was a lot of hoopla over it. 
Is it something that we should be surprised by? As you said, Ms. Lee, just a minute ago, these guys are used to making these types of parts. We don't know what created this issue, but if it is to the point of where they can make the part a lot cheaper than what they're being charged for it, then I think, once again, we're at another issue with NASCAR not controlling their distributors to keep things at a cost because we all know when you sell 500 hamburgers, you make a lot more money selling them for a dollar cheaper than what you would if you only sold 50 hamburgers. You 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 make money by how much you how many you sell, not how much you sell, right? Um, that's that's the way that I've always felt. You know, that's that's how. So if if these manufacturers of these parts are inflating the cost because they're demanded parts, then NASCAR should come in and say, wait a minute parts suppliers, you don't need to be upping this to this price because this is clearly they can be made for a lot cheaper. And it's just, it's, you know, we see this all the time the dirt track with the ASCO shocks. And, you know, back in the old day, what was it, the old Midas, uh, the, what was the shocks back in the old day, the Midas shocks or something? I can't remember. But anyway, I sound like a dumbass sometimes. Um, but, uh, you know, we're, we're going through it right now. A stock shock that you can go buy at the uh, at any auto zone or, or whatever you know they take them to these shops and they get tweaked on and now they become these you know high-end expensive shocks but in reality they're still the same shock that you bought off the off the the, the uh out of the parts store it's just been uh juiced so to speak um i don't know i don't know I think that uh, NASCAR should look into that. Obviously, if that's the issue, then Stuart Haas needs to let NASCAR know that there's been an unfair inflation on some of these part prices because of supply and demand issues, and NASCAR needs to either, one, add more people that can supply these parts to bring down the cost, or two, make sure that these manufacturers of these parts are staying within a reasonable range of profit margin and not, you know, having a 200, 300%, 400% markup for a part that can be created in-house for a hell of a lot cheaper. That's my thoughts, and that's that's where I'm at on that. Taz, do you want to add anything to it? Um, I did mention this in the chat, and one thing to show how critical this penalty is, if this 120-point penalty was not assessed, Chase Briscoe would be sitting 19th in points, but because of this penalty, he's sitting 31st, which is under Chase Elliott missing six races. <laughs> See? See it goes? There's a big point. There is a big point payout difference between those. There is a big, big difference between the end of the year payout on that. All right. Well, we have killed some time tonight, and we didn't do nothing but talk about four subjects. That's the way we used to do it. None of the mumbo-jumbo bullcrap. We went straight to the point. We created topics. We did it all in about an hour and a half. So, uh, Taz, uh, I think uh, we have room to get out of here a few minutes early here tonight. Uh, let's go ahead. I mean, is there anything else you guys want to bring to the table first, Ms. Lee? Is there anything that you uh, – any topics of discussion that you – think we missed or something that you want to add to what we've said, uh, now's the time, and then we'll give it to you, Taz, and then we'll go into Taz's hot topics. All right. I, I just mean, wanted Taz to throw out there. Just wanted to throw out there because you mentioned Chase's face, and we talked about his impact on uh, 
viewer ratings. Adam I'm just Stern. looking at that. <laughs> <laughs> Adam Stern posted that FS1 got a 1.27 rating and 2.16 million viewers for the race on Sunday. <clears throat> Excuse me. Down from a 1.47 and 2.5 million last year. And he caveated that with the lightning delay from the start of the race and also the fact that Chase did not race. And I had to laugh like crazy when I saw that he put that in there. Yep. Well, there it is. You know, uh, sometimes facts are stranger than fiction. Um, The... uh, the lightning delay, this is ridiculous, NASCAR. We got to do better. We're talking about we're talking about drivers and cars with rubber tires. They're in no danger. Is the flagman in danger? Maybe. Um, are the fans in danger? Possibly. But most of this race is controlled by electronics anyway. So, so let the guys race. You want? So we got. So we got that NASCAR viewership rating, right? We got NBC and ESPN ratings from F1 and IndyCar. Remember that NASCAR stat that Lee said. So let's go into IndyCar, right? I kind of want to show how this effect is working. NBC got a .65 rating and 1.047 million viewers for Sunday's IndyCar race in the streets of Detroit, up from... Here we go. This is last year's rating, 0.23 and 354,000 viewers for last year's final Bell Isle event that aired on USA. So going from so IndyCar literally nearly tri- uh, their rating and their viewership in ESPN with F1 got a 0.58 rating and a 1.04 million viewers for Sunday's F1 Spanish Grand Prix in Barcelona, off slightly from a 0.59 and 1.146. So, I mean, F1, not really much of a decline. NBC, uh, IndyCar had like a triple increase, and NASCAR like hit a bombshell. Well, I, I'm I'm going to clarify one thing about that, though, Taz, is the difference between the Belle Isle race in Indy or of Indy um, being on USA versus the Detroit race that was on NBC. So, to me, that makes a big difference in in that rating. Yeah, I can see that one. One could argue that one with different uh, broadcast networks. But at the same time, you know, it's it's just mind-blowing of how F1 kind of relatively stayed the same. Uh, IndyCar got a huge jump, but that could be the argument of going from USA to NBC, which but I think NBC owns something of USA, but I could be wrong. 
Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They are. They're connected. Comcast and, owns them all. And NAS and NASCAR because of the Chief Elliott effect, you know. See you later. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm just not sold on the whole Chief Elliott deal. I mean those those you know what, those fanboys, if if they're willing to not watch because Chase doesn't race, then they're really not true fans of NASCAR. They're actually just Chase Elliott fanboys. And uh exactly. never been a fan of a fanboy. Never been a fan of a fanboy. I was a part of Junior Nation, but I wasn't a fanboy. Okay, so maybe I was a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, I defended Dale Jr. and told everybody I would get so freaking mad. My wife is sitting right next to me right now. She could she would tell you the the truth. I fought people and told them, you don't know. Dale Jr. is going to come back and he's going to be big again. He's going to he's going to do great things. He's just going through a tough time right now. And you know what? I was right. And I'm so happy that I always believed in my driver. And I never stopped believing in my driver. And the most happiest time of my life, one of the most happiest times of my life, especially in racing, was when my family, my whole family, was at Talladega Super Speedway when Dale Jr. won. That was the most amazing thing in the world because my wife and I had been going so many times beforehand wishing that we could tear the house down because Dale Jr. was the winner. And the very first time that we took our entire family, Dale Jr. took home the, the win, and we weren't allowed to tear Talladega down because we had the kids. <laughs> I was always a fan. I was always – and I always told people that, that he was going to get it turned around. And, you know, there there is a difference in people who are fans and people who are fanboys. And I think a lot of Chase Elliott's fans are just fanboys and – they don't really. I mean, it's 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 different, you know. You have, like you said, Taz Taylor, uh, the longtime fans. We will be fans of NASCAR just about no matter what they do. And uh, then you have those who are just there because maybe, you know, I don't know. Maybe they watched a movie or something. I don't know. I don't know how you become a Chase Elliott. Fan. And really that's don't. that's the next that's the next generation of fans that NASCAR has to try to appeal to and is trying to appeal to are the fanboys. And how do they make them, how do they make them long-time NASCAR fans? That is a question to ponder. Well, maybe that's true. Maybe, you know, there's nothing wrong with the part-time fans. Look, the Chiefs right now, if if you go to the Chiefs games, you would think that they have been the best team in football for 100 years because they have a dynasty right now. But you went 20 years ago to a Chiefs game when Trent Green was the quarterback, and, uh, you know, they were, uh, they were, you know, I mean, they had great fan support, but they weren't the Chiefs that we see today. So anytime, uh, look at the Cleveland Browns, right? I mean, the Browns is the best I, example. How many people on, jumped on the bandwagon? Hold on. Let me Uh-oh. tell you. Uh-oh. This I am personal. Cleveland, yes. Cleveland <laughs> born, Cleveland raised. <laughs> I am used to being disappointed by my sports teams, no matter how strongly I supported them. So you're preaching to the choir from that one, buddy. <laughs> 
Lord, don't make Mama uh, Bear mad. I swear. It's no, I'm not mad. Just, just explaining my perspective. I've been disappointed right, right. in sports my entire freaking life. Yeah, and and you know what? When the Indians won the World Series, they they had sellout crowds and fans screaming from everywhere. When the Browns acted like they were halfway good with Baker Mayfield, people were coming out to the ballpark. They were enjoying it. The, the Browns were on fire. And when LeBron James brought a championship to Cleveland, you thought that they were always winners. And then there's just it, – it, 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 what you're saying is it comes and goes it, – it leaves just as quick as it came, right? Exactly. And I'm sorry, and I'm not a LeBron James fan. One year and it, and it, a what? I said I am not a LeBron James fan. He betrayed his city just like Art Modell did when he moved the Browns out. What are you talking about? I hear that there's a return, a a third reunion about to happen. How do you feel uh, about that? Cleveland fans have long memories, let me tell you that. (laughs) And we don't forgive easily. Oh, y'all will let him come back a third time. You, you let him come back a second time. You'll definitely let him come back a third time, especially with the promise of Bronny James coming along. I'm I don't watch the ball anymore. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to poke Mama Bear. It's time to move on. <laughs> I love you, Ms. Lee. It's time to move on to Taz's hot pick. Taz, I know that you that uh, you you've taken this very serious. Your hot picks, and uh, you know, week in week out, you got some great. Uh, um, and, and some uh, interesting uh, points of view. Um, I'm, I'm excited to find out this week what are some prizes, what are some surprises that's on the list, and also uh, I've just got to make sure you got some of the favorites there: William Byron, Christopher Bell, um, and uh, what Kyle Larson. Those things, that seems to be the big three uh, right now. So uh, what? What do you got? What do you got here? Oh, Chris, you're not going to like my list then because I have, for my list to start us out, I have none of those three drivers on this list. I have, for the favorite so far, Kevin Harvick, Martin Truex Jr., Kyle Busch, contenders, Joey Logano, Ross Chastain, Denny Hamlin, underdogs, Michael McDowell, Eric Almarola, and Eric Jones. Okay, wait a minute. I'm We're literally to... going to a road course, and A.J. Allmendinger's name is not on that list. I purposely I, I left some curious? names off the table for obvious reasons. <laughs> I'm, okay with... <laughs> I'm okay with the contenders and the pretenders. I'm not okay with that first list. <laughs> Wait a minute, though. There's a lot of there's a lot of victories between Martin Truex Jr. and Kevin Harvick, and who was the other one? Kyle Busch. Oh no, yeah. Like uh, I don't know, Ms. Lee. I don't know. Tell me what. Tell me what's on your mind. This is a road race. Years. This is right? a road race. Right. Where experience should matter. Right? Experience you know, matters, but 
who are our road course racers? Well, I can see Stuart Haas stealing one here with Kevin Harvick. So I'm not going to argue that one. Second of all, Kyle Busch is a pretty damn good road racer. Can't argue that one. Third one, maybe too much is being given to Martin Truex Jr. at a road course. But he's proven he's been capable and it's JGR equipment, which means he has the better brakes. He has the good setup. Right, so there's a lot of variables that play into that, but I'll leave it to you to argue. Well, Harvick in 21 Sonoma races may have only one win, but he does have seven top fives and 11 top tens to back him up. All right, there's your point. Truex, on the other hand. I could see Miss Lee's point, but that could be because of maybe lack of equipment that he was in. But he has, but he has three wins that could that does propel him. Five top fives and six top tens in sixteen Sonoma races. Kyle Busch and Kyle Busch in seventeen Sonoma races, two wins. Six top fives and eight top tens. And the current drivers with multiple wins right now are that I'm looking at is Kyle Busch and Martin Truex Jr. I didn't realize Truex had, you said, three Sonoma wins? That's right. Wow. Good homework, buddy. Good homework. Kyle Larson, yep. I believe, has one win. Kyle Larson Sonoma. at Sonoma has one win. And believe it or not, Chris, Kyle Larson in eight Sonoma races, one win, one top five, two top tens. Yeah. but uh, So he had a great run running his first year there at uh, Standard Motorsports. This is really only his third year in and top equipment, of course, I would expect those kind of stats coming from uh, Chip Ganassi. He was definitely not a Juan Pablo Montoya. Um, but Larson has to be circled in as a favorite. Uh, he's already, I think he's the defending winner. Um, no, he's not. No. no Who's Daniel the defending? Suarez. Yeah, Suarez. Ah, so that was track house. As ones to watch, which also catapults RCR into the mix, which would make sense with Kyle Bush. And I can't put much emphasis on Austin Dillon. He may have a good run there. But now we have to look back at Ross Chastain and we have to look at Daniel Suarez. Daniel Suarez being now, the defending winner, I definitely have to put him in as a contender. Well, you also hey, have to if look. You've seen how well Suarez ran this past weekend, we should all be proud of my amigo. Hey, I mean, we're leaving, we're leaving, you said Almondinger, we're leaving Suarez, we're leaving, well, Shastain is on the contenders list, so we got that one covered. We're leaving uh, Chase the Face, who's good on road courses. We're leaving Tyler Reddick, who recently is starting to shine in road courses. Hold on, hold on. We are also leaving Chris Busher off the list. And let me that's remind what I just, you. That's let me what I just you, said was Chris Busher. Let me remind you, in 2022, uh, in all the road course races, 
Chris Buescher has current has the had the best average finish amongst road courses last year, and he finished in, ev- in the top ten in every road course race except for Coda. And wow. Chris Buescher has won at um, Mid Ohio, which is a road course when he was in Xfinity. And, and that there was very limited wins there, so that's a great memory there, Miss Lee. I guess since it was at one of the home tracks, you remember it. Uh, I know he won I at a Pocono, of course, in the uh, in the front row motorsports over a range shortened event um, with so, uh, the thirty six. So with only a few minutes left of showtime, we got to figure out some of these names we're mentioning and where can we put them. Yeah, Larson has Dinger. to be a favorite. Man. I'm, I'm not. I'm not going to stop until I get Larson on the favorite list. I think Bell. He's proven that he's pretty good at road courses. Uh, so Bell needs to be put uh, in. I believe. Uh, I mean, he's more than a contender. If you ask me, he's one of the top three racers in the in the, in racing right now. The boys proved that. So. Well, I'm going to put Chris Buescher on the contender category because I, I just can't, I can't put him any lower. I just, I can't put him as a favorite, but I can't put him in the underdog list. He just doesn't deserve that after showing what he did last year and uh, with how RFK is but doing overall this year. He is an underdog. He is the underdog. He's run well enough to be added to the list. But it's, it's 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 hard to put him in front of some of the other names that we've listed as true contenders and favorites. Um, I believe Chris Buescher would be best suited in the underdog list without disrespect. So, I mean, the only question I have with Almendinger, I feel like he's had so much pressure on him. So it, it kind of like yeah. Almendinger is an easy one to ring off, but at the same time, like he, he, I feel like every time he's got that glimpse of hope, something happens. What about I Ryan say, Blaney and Austin Simpson? Go ahead. I say Larson is a favorite, Busher is a contender, Almendinger as an underdog. Those are my picks. Christopher Bell, um, I could argue contender or favorite. I want to put Tyler Reddick as a favorite, honestly. Um, Chase Elliott could be in that same category, too. Hey, what about Austin Sindrick? I, I, I could put him as an underdog. Jamie, can we get the stats on... Austin Sindrick in twenty Austin Sindrick twenty twenty two road courses nine point three average finish. Um his out of the six road courses he finished outside the top ten twice. Can we throw Ty Gibbs on the underdog list? Oh my god, you read my mind. I mean the kid's there. He's consistently in the top 15. 
and I think that uh, he's been a pretty good road course racer in the past. Yes, he has. That should be. We should be getting close to the end of the list, Taz. What do we got here? Um. So this is what I have right now. Uh, favorites: Harvick, Truex, Bush, Larson, Reddick, Elliott. Contenders: Logano, Chastain, Hamlin, Busher, Bell. Underdogs: McDowell, Amarola, Jones, Dinger, Gibbs, Sindrick. I know we're missing somebody. So no, nobody, nobody, nobody believes in Hamlin at a road course. Is that what we're saying? What about Bubba Wallace? No. No. He didn't move the grade. I will um, I will tell you this right now. I will tell you this right now. Last year World Course races Alex Hamlin. Jones. He could be a contender. I will argue that one. Ow. Ow. He seems more like an underdog. I feel like he could be well, in his five uh, road course races last year, because he missed Charlotte with his concussion, um, second at Coda, 16th in Sonoma, 12th at Road America. Um, I think he had a wreck or something at Indianapolis, so, so he had a poor 30-second finish, and 14th at Watkins Glen. Um, and, and you have to remember, Coda, he was a contender for the win. Well, uh, and and, and uh, uh, so I could I could put him as a contender, and he did better than Hamlin and Bowman last year in road courses. You could circle him, man. I, I, I'll take that. I just I, I think that we got uh, most of the ones that I feel like could be uh, definite contenders. I know that there's always going to be a surprise. There always is. Um, just not sure where where that's going to come from. Possibly a Todd Gilliam, maybe. Not sure. Um, but, uh, hey, that's what makes this segment so interesting. We've thrown some names out there. It's up to you to make your picks. And uh, Taz, tell them about uh, uh, what's uh, tell them what's coming up next. It's 9 o'clock, guys. It's time to go home. All right, well, thank you, everyone, for listening along to Race Chat Live here on Blog Talk Radio. If you ever miss us live on Blog Talk Radio, you can catch us on any form of podcast, such as Blog Talk Radio, Podpage.com, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, RSS Feed, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, GeoSaving Podcast Index, Deezer, Podchaser, and on YouTube. Make sure you also subscribe to the 110 Nation Sports YouTube channel, uh, you'll see clips of our show, uh, Mr. CJ's, uh, Mr. CJ and Mario from the One Ten Nation Sports Show on Wednesday night. You'll also see clips of behind-the-scenes stuff of what we do here in the One Ten Nation, and also a brand new series on Monday nights for at least for six weeks, the One Ten Nation uh, Racing Experience. That's kind of that's basically mirroring the SRX series, but our own twist to it. Um, we want to thank our sponsors that make the 110 Nation roll, Bears Bullish Market, 
Carolina Sports Plus, TNT Designs, Yellow Caution Flag Productions, and more to music, karaoke, and entertainment. We want to thank you guys for listening along. We'll see you same bat time, same bat place next Tuesday night, 8 o'clock Eastern, 7 o'clock Central. This is Ben. Race Chat live with the Caution Flag of Racing Radio, Chris Creighton. DJ Music Man Craig Moore hopefully comes back soon. The Mama Bear of 110 Nation, Miss Lee Reed. I'm Tasmanian Double Flaggers, Taz Taylor, saying goodnight. We'll see you all next week. Thank you. Good night, everybody. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.